0: Okay, well, we are in the final session for this whole Transform series, and uh, just as we kind of begin this moment, I just want to talk about the kind of two key convictions, if you like, which have kind of underpinned this whole series. The first one is this. We believe that the gospel is far more than just getting right with God so I can go to heaven. We believe in a gospel which is a story of... God coming after people that he has made to live in relationship with him, that life only works when we know him and walk with him, and that sin has kind of ruined us, and Jesus comes to rescue us, to redeem us, and to restore us. So God comes to change us. And this gospel is this story that eternity, if you like, starts now. God wants to rescue and change us now. That's the first conviction. The other conviction when we talk about transformation and this whole series of Transformed is that God is after our entire lives. Sometimes in churches, you'll hear people talk about your spiritual life. And I know what that means, and even that's a phrase I have probably used. And I remember a few years ago, a friend of mine asking me the question saying, Phil, how is your spiritual life? Now, I didn't like that question because at the time, I knew that I wasn't in great shape with God at that time. But we talk often in this kind of like very compartmentalized way, how's your spiritual life? But God isn't. Our, God doesn't seem to deal with us in that way. God is after the whole thing, our entire life. That's why we've talked about, you know, our relational health and our emotional health. And this week in your groups, you're going to talk about your kind of work uh, life and health there and all sorts of your financial life. God is after the whole thing, and just to nail it down to one little bit in effect is not what God is after. So. Uh, For several years, Sarah and I used to have an allotment in Catford, and uh, I was possibly the world's worst allotment holder of all time. I used to get regular letters from the allotment people telling me I wasn't doing a very good job. And the reason for that was not because I wasn't brilliant at gardening. The reason for that was in Genesis 3, with the curse comes, the fall, and God says to Eve, you know, you're going to have, it's going to, childbearing is going to be painful, and says to Adam, cursed is the ground that you're going to work. That was my allotment plot that God was talking about. Okay. So my, no, not really. Okay. But it would be, just to talk about your spiritual life would be, a parallel would be like to go, I've got all this land, this field, and all I'm going to do is try and cultivate this little bit here. And hopefully all the weeds and all the kind of, all the other stuff is going to stay out there. Well, it wouldn't, would it? It would encroach again and again. God is after our spiritual life. God is after our entire life, and he wants to rescue it and redeem it. And that's why in Romans 12, when Paul talks about what this worship looks like, he says, uh, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. In in other words, the whole thing is to be given to him. So that's what undergirds this series. And we began the series by talking about how does change happen? What does transformation look like? How does that Take place. And often from a, a worldview kind of direction, we tend to think of that we change things by just trying really hard. Like this time I'm gonna try really hard, I'm gonna get really focused, and I'm gonna it's gonna change. But actually, most of our experience will be that just willpower alone is not enough to create any lasting change. You experience that? And biblically, change doesn't come by just willpower biblically, change comes by saying to God, I want to follow you. I want you to change my life. I want to be different. I want to become the person that you say I could become. And change comes by saying, I'm going to plant myself as close to Jesus as possible. I'm going to walk as close to him as possible. And I'm going to allow his life to change me from the inside out. So Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. He is like a tree planted by a river whose leaf does not wither and bears fruit in season. In other words, the key to bearing fruit is to be planted next to the river. That life works through me and begins to change me inside out. John 15, Jesus says, remain in me, I will remain in you. No one bears fruit by themselves. How do I bear fruit? I've got to remain in him. So we plant ourselves next to him. We allow him to change us inside out out okay that's how change takes place and we talked about that right at the start now at the end of this series i want to talk about how do we keep going how do we make this a lifestyle expectation that we will grow and change and allow god to get hold of us because my experience is it's really easy to get excited about change and things that god wants to do in our life in church you know someone preaches a decent message or the worship's inspiring and you feel excited right but it's a very different thing to living it out when you get home or the next day. So this summer, the Olympics is coming, Rio. And um, I don't know if you can kind of you know relate to this, but I tend to find that when I watch like athletics or things like that, and I watch them repetitively, as you do through the Olympics, as I'm watching them, gradually by gradually, I get kind of excited. And little by little, a voice begins to rise up within me, quietly at first but louder as it gets going which is basically i love running i want to run i I need to go out running like these athletes go i need to go running and the voice gets louder and louder so eventually you go on Amazon and you buy yourself some new trainers oh, no, I need to, and I need to buy some new running shorts and, and your high-vis kind of running top. I need, I need some Bluetooth headphones as well to run and you invest in all this stuff. Like, I'm going to get this stuff and I'm going to go out running and that voice is getting louder. I love running. I, why don't I run? I'm going to run. And you feel inspired. And the day comes when you've got all your stuff on and you go out and you st- you're ready and you start running. And within 10 seconds, that little voice that had been so encouraging goes, I hate running. Why am I running? I hate running. This is awful. And what you felt so excited and inspired, suddenly has just totally dissipated and disappeared. Anybody relate to that? Well, that's what happens in church, right? We get excited. We think, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go. And then you get out. And it's like, oh, it's hard. This is much harder than I seem to remember it being. And this is the thing, right? How do we keep going? How do you keep growing even when it feels hard? And so I'm going to take you to a really famous story in the Bible. If if you're not used to church, you'll still know this story, I suspect, from 1 Samuel 17, and it is the story of David and Goliath. Now, a little bit of background to this story, okay? The Philistines and the Israelites are at war, and they're they're in a face-off. And as was often the way in those those cultures... (laughs) the Philistines have sent down their champion. And the idea is they're going to have a one-to-one fight, and whoever wins the one-to-one fight basically wins the whole battle. So Goliath has come down, and he's like, he's like a freak of nature. He's huge. And for 40 days, he has been shouting at the Israelites about, and taunting them, really, about, why won't you come? And the Israelites, no one is moving, okay? They are stationary. They are fixed. There's No one is coming out. And for 40 days, this has been going on. Now, David... He's back at home with his dad, and his three of his older brothers are at war. They are part of the Israelite army, and his father, Jesse, sends David with some provisions to the army to see his brothers. And David shows up, and as David shows up, Goliath is shouting. And then you read this, okay, 1 Samuel 17. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him. This is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? So it's been a bit of sibling rivalry. okay? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? So he's mocking David, your those meager sheep, where have you left them, David? What are you doing here? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. Now, what have I done? said David. Can't I even speak? So he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. Saul was the king. And Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, good luck. No, no, he didn't really. Go, I'm just checking. Go and the Lord be with you, which means good luck. Okay? Okay. Now, David kills Goliath. If you know the story, he kills Goliath. It is, if you like, a massive moment of breakthrough. And when I was a kid, I went to like a, a, a kind of a boy's kind of Bible study group called Crusaders. And basically, they specialize in telling the stories from all the goriest bits of the Old Testament where people's heads get chopped off. So I knew this story really well. Goliath dies, David chops off his head. And this is the moment that everybody recalls, breakthrough. Everybody, if you're used to church and you're used to this kind of church, I suspect you will like, I think everybody likes, the big breakthrough moments. You know the moments I'm talking about? The powerful worship times, the kind of ministry encounter moments, the big prophetic word where someone gets picked out and it's phenomenal revelation. We love those moments. I like those moments. But the truth is, most of the Christian life does not feel like that. Most of the Christian life feels, to be honest, often very ordinary. And David has to walk through a number of very ordinary seasons of his life to get to this moment. See, Goliath is the giant that everyone knows about, and everyone hears about, and everyone knows that story. But actually, there are a number of giants that David has to deal with in order to get to that moment. If you want to grow if you want this to be more than just a teaching series, if you genuinely in your heart saying to God, no, I really do want to change. I, want, I don't want to get stuck. I, want to, I don't want to stand still. I want you to help me become all that you call me to be. Then there will be other giants, if you like, as you walk through normal life. And David has to navigate them. And so do you and I. So do you and I. So here's the first one that David has to navigate, okay? And that is summed up in this word, and the word is delay. David has already experienced the big prophetic moment. If you go back one chapter into 1 Samuel 16, there is the story of Samuel who is like the foremost prophet in the land. God speaks to Samuel and says, I'm finished with Saul as the king. You're going to go and anoint a new king. Go to Jesse's house. Okay, so he turns up at Jesse's house. Jesse gets them all, all his boys lined up. Samuel thinks it must be this one. It's not this one, must be this one, not this one. And he goes through and he says, is there another one? And he goes, well, there is another, but he's out looking after the sheep. So they bring David in. And as soon as he sees him, Samuel's like, he's the one. This is God's anointed. He's going to be king. And Samuel anoints him to be king. It is a massive prophetic moment, okay, for David. That's day one. Do you know what happens day two? Day two, David goes back out to look after the sheep. Like, nothing happens. Nothing seemingly changes at all. But Samuel, you just think, well, Samuel, who's like the most powerful prophetic voice in the nation that God has just spoken to, has just shown up and anointed him to be king. It's like like an incredible moment. And then day two, nothing changes. You will have moments where you think God clearly speaks to you, and it's like, bam, it's like God has... It's an incredible moment, and day two, nothing seems to have changed. David has to deal with delay. In fact, when things do start to happen for David, when he gets through like the initial delay, then it's not straightforward at all. It doesn't all open up for him. So he goes and he, does, he kills Goliath, and everyone knows about that story. But then Saul doesn't know what to do with David. You would think at this moment, Saul relinquishes the throne, David becomes king, and we all live happily ever after. But actually what happens is, Saul wants to stay king, and Saul wants a warrior in David, but is, is, is threatened by him as well. So there's this jealousy thing that happens, David becomes friends with Jonathan, who's Saul's son, and it's very complicated. And in the end, Saul, one minute wants David in this court, and the next minute is trying to kill him, and in the end, David goes on the run and becomes a fugitive. So he goes from being anointed by Samuel to like being a hero to being a fugitive. And you think, well, how did, what's going on? Well, delay is going on. You hear God speak, and yet actually it doesn't happen in the timeline that you're hoping for. And you are living in delay. David deals with delay. You and I will at times have to deal with Delay. Joseph deals with delay. In the Old Testament, Joseph has a dream. Joseph is a bit of a stupid boy and tells his brothers, I have older brothers. If I had told them that I just had a dream, that they're all going to bow down to me, it would not have gone well either. It doesn't go well. Things do not go well for him. He gets sold in slavery. He, gets, he has this incredible journey through his life. He just makes it, and then things open up for him. But there's a massive delay between God speaking and actually it coming to pass. Jairus, Mark chapter 5, if you know that story, Jairus, his daughter is dying and he hears about Jesus. So he goes to Jesus and says, basically, you're my last chance, my daughter's dying. And Jesus says, I'm coming. So God's spoken to Jairus, I'm coming, right? In the middle of that story, do you know what happens? A lady who's been bleeding for 12 years, who's not even socially acceptable to be out in the crowd squeezes into the crowd, touches Jesus' cloak, and gets healed in the middle of the moment. And there's this whole moment where Jesus stops, stops going with Jairus, heals this lady. That's all amazing. And then as she is healed, news comes to Jairus and says, your daughter's dead. You ever been in a situation where this person's getting life and your dreams seem to be dying? Or this person gets healed and this person doesn't? Where well, you're in the delay. Mark 5, the story ends that Jesus goes to Jairus' house and she's raised. But they don't know that. Jairus doesn't know that. You're living in delay. Israel have been in delay for 40 days. They said they're just standing on the hill. No one is moving. Now, in the Bible, 40 days is often a significant number. It's often kind of like a round number to signify a significant like, passing of time that you have to endure. Moses lives in the desert for 40 years. After killing the Egyptian, he runs off into the desert. there for 40 years. Elijah, who has like incredible power moments in ministry, runs from Jezebel. He's in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. Israel's in the desert for 40 years. Jesus himself begins his ministry in the desert for 40 days. Sooner or later, every one of us, if you're serious about following Jesus, spends some time in the desert. The desert is not the promised land. The desert is dry. The desert is hard. The desert is when you pray and it feels like there is no one there. The desert is when you come to church and you don't want to sing the songs. The desert is when you see the videos and you resent somebody else's story because it's just not happening in yours. The desert is where you wonder if God is there or not. And part of growing, at times, is dealing with delay in the desert. The Psalms, if you know the Psalms tool, are full of this. Okay? Again and again, you'll read the Psalmist, and he's not having a good day sometimes. Now, we don't tend to talk about them too much in church. We don't tend to start worship with them too much. Okay, so Psalm 73, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence all day long. I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. Let's stand and sing. We don't tend to do that in church, do we? But it's real. And God seemingly seems to intentionally allow us, take us through the desert because God is interested in forming something in us. You know, we're just conditioned to think externals, aren't we? We think, you know, my career, my life, my, my job, my house, my kids. These are all the things which define how things are going. And yet, God starts seemingly with trying to grow someone within us. It's not that those things aren't important to him. But in Matthew 6, Jesus says, you know, my father knows you need all those. Now, seek me first. It's like I'm going to form someone in you. So delay, here's another one, disapproval. If you are going to grow, if, if you're going to change, if you're going to let God change you from where you were or where you are now to for him to work what he does in you, sooner or later, someone's going to say some stuff to you which is going to hurt. People will question, people will misunderstand you. So when Samuel arrives at Jesse's house to anoint the king, he doesn't even know there is another son. His dad doesn't even bother to get David in the lineup. If, Jesse, if Samuel shows up and goes, get me your boys and I'll pick the one out, and you are not the one that's even lined up, you're the only one left outside, that would require some serious ministry time later on in life, wouldn't it? Like, a serious sense of rejection from your dad. David's not even in the lineup. Is there another one? Oh, yeah, he's another one, but he's looking after the sheep. Yeah. He's just a little lad, just... David has to deal with that. David deals with his brothers when he shows up, at, you know, with the army. Who are you? Why have you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep, David? That little job you've got. Like, you are so insignificant. Why are you here? I know how conceited you are. Like, you're insignificant. You're conceited. You're wicked. You're only here to watch other people fight, David. Even the king, Saul, looks at David and says, there is no way you can go out against this philip. All the people who matter most to David have a negative opinion. Have you noticed this? His dad, his eldest brother, the prophet doesn't even know he exists, and the king. All the people who matter most are not... In- there is no encouraging word here. In fact, it says later in 1 Samuel 30, I think... That David encouraged himself. Sometimes that is what you have to do. You encouraged himself in the Lord. Every voice, every opinion to him in these moments is negative. You will have to deal with disapproval. The truth is, we can be stopped by people's comments to us. You start to grow to be a bit more generous, or you things are happening in terms of your relationships, you start to you think I can't I'm gonna leave these relationships, they're not good for me. I'm gonna I wanna really invest here. Some old friends will say to you, What are you doing? I used to be really I used to like being around you. You used to be fun to be around and now you just seem boring now. And their comment sticks. People's comments and opinions can hold us. I remember years ago Uh, I was trying to learn how to write songs. I think I'm still trying to learn how to write songs, but I was trying to learn how to write songs. And I remember I wrote a song and we used it in church. It probably wasn't a very good song, but we used it in church. And the thing I was most worried about was basically failing badly, okay? And people hating this song. Like everyone's standing there going, I'm not singing this song. But it it was okay. But then a comment came back through someone else from someone else I knew. Basically when they sang your song, was like I was thinking, who does he think he is? And that was the comment, and it stuck. If you want to grow, you will encounter at times people's comments, which are negative, about positive growth. David doesn't let them stick. In other words, they don't define David. Here's another one. Doubt and fear. David and Goliath, if you like, amongst other things, is definitely a story about fear and the impact of fear. Because it says, you know, for an entire, for 40 days, Goliath comes out. Like In other words, every day. So if you're gripped by anxiety, and anxiety gives birth to full-blown full fear, every day it will come to you and mock you. Goliath comes every day and mocks them and affects them every day. Okay, notice, every day, and it's contagious. It goes through the entire army. If fear grips you, there's a good chance that will spill into the people around you as well. If you have kids, there's a good chance it affects them. Every day. And fear, amongst other things, stops us moving forward. Fear of what could happen, fear of embarrassment, fear of what others will think. And it stops the entire army from fighting. Every one of them is locked where they're standing. No one's moving. So we find ourselves, when we're fearful, if we're fearful people, we find ourselves saying things like this. I could never do that. Or when someone says to you, why don't you come and try this? You find yourself saying, no, I don't think so. So we've talked in this last series about things like relationships. We talk about the need to build new relationships that help you grow as a Christian, that relationships are key to growing as Christians. Well, fear will stop us from doing that. Fear will stop you from pursuing friendships because you're worried if I tell this person who I really am, they won't like me. So the fear of what could happen, the rejection means that you will never open up and let them in. Or it happens the other way around. Maybe you've got some friends, but if you're fearful about it, what will happen is you become incredibly over intense about the friendships you have. You know that thing where you, you rely too much on them or you're incredibly protective and defensive of them? You know, it can happen, you know, even in church, you're with your friend, okay, and you're talking to them at coffee, and someone else sidles into view. You can see them, and you have a choice, don't you? Do I open, like, body language? Do we let them in and allow them to join this conversation, or do I just like, I never saw you, and we just look here, and basically because I don't want to share this person with you, because I'm fearful if I share them with you, they'll like you more, and then they'll leave me. It's all fear. Fear will drive us to do, to do, like to treat our money in ways which are incredibly unhealthy. Fear will drive us to try and make money the thing. I've got to accumulate more. I've got to accumulate more. I've got to accumulate more. And for that sake, to bow down to that, you'll sacrifice everything else. Because if I have enough, then I'll feel secure. It will give me security. The thing is, we never have enough, right? Fear will drive us to that. Fear will drive us to be incredibly uh, una- well, in- unable to be generous with what we've got. I can't, I won't be able to share what I've got. I won't be able to give anything away of what I've got. I won't be able to give in church. I won't be able to be generous to my friends. I won't be able to be generous to causes or, or, or other charities that I'm aware of because I can't give any away. Because if I give any away, it might fundamentally undermine my own sense of security. Fear drives us to be like that. Fear will lock you down, in other words. And that's what's happening. They are locked Down, unable to move. And 40 days becomes 40 weeks and becomes 40 years of never risking and never stepping out and always holding back. Delay, disapproval, fear and doubts. Okay, These are giants. If we're going to grow, we're going to hit them one after the other after the other. David does not allow delay or disapproval or doubt to stop him, okay? It's not that they don't affect him. It's just that they don't define him. How do you keep going, right? How how do you do that? How do you not let those things stop you from letting God do all he wants to do in you and through you? That's the question that we have to ask. Well, I guess there's so many things we could say. Here's the one thing I really want to say on this. Every single one of those giants, if you like, every single one of those hurdles has its own voice. It will speak to you. Delay will say to you, just give up. It is never, ever going to happen. In Mark 5, when the news comes to Jairus that his daughter is dead, the people around him say, don't bother the teacher anymore. Don't bother anymore. Just let it go. It's never going to happen. When we live in delay, delay will say to you, don't bother anymore. Give it up. Disapproval will say to you, who do you think you are? Like, I know what you're like. I know your history. I know the things you've done. I know the things you haven't even confessed to someone. And you want to pray, and you want to help lead a group in church, and you want to give your life to God, and you want... I mean, who are you kidding? Like, I know what you're like. And I also know of all the good intentions you've had in the past and how you cycled around the same issues again and again. It's never going to change. Who do you think you are? Are you joking? That's what disapproval will say to you. Fear and doubt will say to you, it will never happen. Don't risk it. It will never, ever happen. So just don't risk it. And that is exactly what is happening in this story The reason the Israelites are locked down is because for 40 days, all they have listened to is Goliath. Every day he comes, every day he taunts them, every day he shouts, and every day he says the same thing. If all you will ever listen to is that voice, that voice will define who you are. But David comes, and David is not defined by that voice. David hears that voice and feels indignation. It's like, who is this guy? Because David is more influenced by another voice. Each of these will have a voice and David is more influenced by another voice. So when he speaks to Saul, David says, the Lord rescued me from the lion and from the bear and he will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. God's done this before, I'm listening to his voice. David says to Goliath, Goliath says, "Well, when he goes down to fight, he says, who's this kid? And David says to Goliath, You come against me with a sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. And this day, he will deliver you into my hand. He's got another voice, okay? If you want to grow, if you don't want to delay or doubt or or fear to hold you, you've got to allow his voice to be louder than their voice, okay? They will speak to you. Doubt will speak to you. And you've got to say, no, no, no. There's another voice. His voice is going to speak to you. You've got to allow his voice. You've got to say, well, no, no. No, Romans 8, it says, I'm with you. I'm for you. Jeremiah 33, I've got plans for you. Ephesians 2, no, I'm his workmanship. Psalm 139, I was, you know, he formed me and they knitted me together. I was his idea, in other words. And I've got to allow his voice to drown out the other voices. They've got to be louder. I've got to get his voice louder in my heart, in other words. And then when you do, this is what you do. You just keep going, okay? It doesn't sound very glamorous, but honestly, biblically, growth often is about this. Don't give up. Don't give up. Even in the challenging times, even in the dry times, even the time when you feel like you're in a desert, when you don't know where God is, don't give up. Galatians 6 says this, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. In other words, what's the key to reaping harvest? Don't give up. Because it's a season. Because sowing and reaping are not in the same season. There's a season where the farmer sows, and there's a season when there's nothing seemingly happening. You can't see anything happening at all, and then suddenly it starts to come up. It's a season. Don't give up. James 1, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How do you get to maturity? Persevere. Perseverance is a key aspect of becoming mature, growing. Don't give up. John Wesley, who was you know, one of the founding fathers of the Methodist movement, had some phenomenal breakthrough moments when he was preaching. But this is an extract from his diary that shows you that it wasn't always like this. Morning, May the 5th, preached in St. Anne's, was asked not to come back again. Evening, May the 5th, preached in St. John's, Deacon said, get out, stay out. <laughs> Morning of May the 12th, preached in St. Jude's, can't go back there either. Morning of May the 19th, uh, preached in St. Stephen's, deacons called a special meeting and said, I couldn't return. Evening of May the 19th, preached on the street, kicked off the street. Morning of May the 26th, preached in the meadow, chased out of the meadow as a bull was turned loose during the service. Morning of June the 2nd, preached out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Evening, June the 2nd, preached in a pasture, 10,000 people came out to hear me. How do we grow? You've got to hold on. You've got to just keep going. You keep trusting. You don't let go because you trust that he is not letting go of you. In five days time, we're going to, well, it'll be Good Friday. And on that day, we will think about and remember and give thanks for the cross. Now, the thing about Good Friday is this, on the day itself, it didn't feel like a good day, right? Good Friday was the day when everything was desperate when all the hopes, all the dreams, all the expectations, expectations built up over three years, all of them suddenly gone. Okay, that day was a day when everything was lost. Have you ever been through a day like that? As a Christian, you will walk through days like Good Friday, like day one, when it feels like everything is lost. Saturday of the Easter weekend is the day where everything just seems empty. It's like, it's like what are we going to do? This is the day when you feel numb. You've walked through loss, and now you feel numb. It's like a void. I don't know where God is. That's day two. You will walk through day ones and day twos. But day three is coming. And in the Bible, again and again, it says, on the third day, breakthrough comes. On the third day. The third day is his day. It's on the third day that you get resurrection, that what seemed to be completely dead comes to life. What was lost suddenly is found. Things that seemed completely absent now suddenly are present. You don't get to day three without day one and day two. On the third day, to get to the third day, you hold on. Psalm 130 says this, and we're going to close. His anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Let's stand together and we're going to pray.